you're not allowed to leave your trash and you're not allowed to pick up their trash because their trash is history. Hey everyone, welcome to our family camping. It is the week of November 2nd, 2020. It's gonna be a fine day today. Yes, it I is. Halloween is over. The madness is uh, going to be over in another couple of days, win, lose, or draw. And? Thank the Lord. Amen. <laughs> will we get TV back? We will get radio back. We will get uh, some sense of normalcy. You know, you know what I'm excited the most for? What's that? I mean, TV, I don't watch that much. Radio, I listen to online, you know, my music playlist. The text messages I'm I'm getting sick of. I I and I never thought I'd say this. I cannot wait to open up my mailbox and it's nothing but bills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I am so sick of these gigantic flyers of people. I oh have no clue God. who they are, what they stand for, because they're not going to do a damn thing anyways. Nope. <laughs> when when we first moved to Green Bay, our the apartment complex we were in, the mail room had a big garbage can in there. And it was so nice because you could just sit and just... Right there. Right there. Get rid of it. Well, even even our apartment in Rice Lake, when we still lived there, the mailbox was right across it from the dumpster. So, yeah. <laughs> yep. you, move oh, the couch aside. You get, and you get 10 extra steps and done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Move the sofa, the mattress, and the six other things from somebody who moved out of the other side threw in and... And anyway, yes, it is uh, the podcast for the week of the second. We're going to do something a little bit different for this episode, and I do have a guest coming on the show shortly. So we have a few things to talk about first, and then we will be talking to a young man named Glenn, who is a uh, avid backpacker and father with a wife and a uh, child and another one on the way. And, you know, camping is going to be uh, reinvented for him, but it is it is a great conversation. So uh, we'll look forward to that shortly. Real quick. Ex- except for those who are alive with us right now. Yeah, you're except just... for those who are alive. You're gonna Brian's catch it. with us. Yeah, so. you're, you're going to catch it when I put this all together because I did this last week. I had a couple of great interviews, and I've got one more I'm really looking forward to. Uh, uh, a couple who bought a 1978 Airstream, gutted it, and redid it. And that is going to be a fun conversation when it happens. So yes. that, that will take some time. Uh, contact information. Uh, ourfamilycamping at gmail.com is one way. The easiest way is join our Facebook group, Our Family Camping. You can find us on Facebook, send in a request, and we will let you in as soon as I look at Facebook on my phone, which is a couple, three times a day. So for that, anyway. <laughs> a couple, three. So Yeah, so we will get you in. I'm thinking activities. We, we kind of had some things mapped out to talk about tonight, and we're kind of going after the exploring end of things when you're uh, camping and out and about, but... All of the different things there are to do, there's whatever you're into. Some people are into the four-wheelers. What are you into? Dirt bikes. All of the different activities. Overlanding, <laughs> all of the different things you can do outdoors that tie in with camping, along with backpacking and other things. I have to ask, what's so funny? <laughs> I'm, I'm, Mom is just giggling away back there. <laughs> I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking, and Don's thinking, no, it's not. It's sitting yeah. in a chair and opening I sit a bottle in my of chair beer. within arm's reach of a cooler. <laughs> that's my activity. And, and you know, that's the one that's thing. That's why we, I go camping. That's the one thing we don't have is how do you locate the nearest tavern, which at the last campground we were at was right there. 
at the campground. So That's true. Could be convenient for uh, for those who would would use it. <laughs> but with my interest in uh, you know kind of a re- rebirth interest in backpacking, as we've talked about, and no, this won't become a backpacking podcast, but it is a piece of camping, so it will come up from time to time. This being one of those. But as I'm searching around and I'm looking for the tools that you use to try and find not just trails, but maybe places. Chris and I, when we go camping, we're out exploring, we're out walking. Uh, One of the things that we nixed the place we were thinking about putting our camper seasonally was the fact that I think the closest hiking trail is like 18 miles away. That's a little too far. Yeah. You just limited so as I'm and the looking, county highway around it is not safe. So. Oh Lord, no, not at all. <laughs> we, we, we'll go for walks on it. And it's uh, you know use it your own risk. But I'm looking at all of these tools that some of these, although yes, they're designed for backpackers, they could also be very handy for, um, well, us. We're both. I hate to admit this, but you know what? We're both over sixty. Our kids worry about us a little bit. Maybe something that they could help know where we are or maybe a way w- when we were out camping we GPS trip chipped you guys years ago that dental visit you guys had we took care of that and I'm pretty sure Don was measuring my neck for an invisible leash last time he, he was in Green Bay for when the memory starts to go yeah if you see the utility locators out digging around they're just burying the fence it's okay <laughs> Explains if you shock. hear the beep, stop walking. <laughs> oh, man. So I just wanted to do a quick review of some of what I've found, and, and I haven't played with it all yet. And then I wanted to talk about one specific app that if you're not using, I think you guys would enjoy using it. If you're out camping and looking for different places to go and exploring, it would be cool. The first one, of course, and this one is, it, it's a commitment. It's a three, $400 device, depending on what you get. And it is called InReach. And then once you buy it, there's a subscription fee involved. But it does give you the ability to, via satellite, send and receive text messages, uh, send out your plans wherever you're going and things like that, and actually let those who you gave permission to satellite track you. And it has essentially a distress call you can hit anywhere unless you're in a cave and uh right and and get some help a little more reliable than the old cell phone yeah yeah and that's in reach and it's got its uh, limitations but it's always there it's a good it's a good communication thing and if i was going to go hardcore into the wilderness for a long period of time that would be a must um as far as other apps go both free and premium there's one called gut hook Maybe for the more serious backpacker, and it's you're going to pay for the maps and the things like that. So I'm not going to go into that a whole lot, but I've I've looked at it a little bit. There's one called Gaia, G A I A, Gaia, Gaia. Uh, that one is really, from what I've seen of it, and yes, it does have hiking and backpacking and things like that. But it has a lot of overland trails. If you're into overlanding, uh, dirt bikes, four wheelers. So there's motorsports would be more in that gear. But the one that I found that I just am just jonesing on this week and having (laughs) fun with is one called All Trails. And it has a free side and a premium side. And all I, of course, have been looking at is the free side at this point. But 
it's got some pretty cool uh, abilities to it. Did, did you guys get a chance to look that over a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems like a decent app. Uh, the, the reviews I've read on it, 99% are positive. You know, and, and I always keep in the back of my head, whoever is giving a negative resume, uh, you know, review, they probably weren't that interested in the product in the first place. Well, and it's funny because you get the negative reviews on the free stuff. Yeah. And, you know, and it's free. What I like about all trails, you, you have a the best way to use this. If you're just pick a campground, you're in, I'll, I'll give you a prime example. We're going back before all trails, smartphones, and everything else. Yep. Before we were married, when we were dating, we were in Lincoln City, Oregon. And we were doing off some exploring. We drove to some other state parks. And we were just parked in a parking lot somewhere in a state park. And there is a sign that says Botanical Gardens. And it doesn't say how far. And, you know, to this day, we don't know how far. But we kept walking the trail and following those, we must have walked 45 minutes before we gave up and turned we, around. We actually saw the fence around the botanical gardens. Did we? Did yes, we, we did. We actually, it just seemed yes. like we walked and walked and nothing gave us a distance, but we never actually did go in, did we? We did see some really good cliffs that you, if you wanted to get rid of something or someone. And I'm still here. Straight shot down to the water, but. It was, we did see the fence and there were no other signs. Oh my gosh. And I think of this app in that, in that scenario, we would have known how far it was before we started off. And I don't think we would have started off because, wow, we, we walked and walked and walked <laughs> and then just had to turn around and walk back. But what I like with this app, and I'm just going to pop it open on my phone, I can plug in any city. If I'm looking at a, oh, there's a camp spot open here in, in, uh, Billings, Montana, what's around there for hiking trails? And then once you're open, you can put in some qualifiers to what am I looking for? Am I looking for uh, hiking? Am I looking for a, a place I can ride my road bike? Do I want to go for a run? Do I want to do some fishing, bird watching? Uh, beer drinking. Yeah, beer drinking yeah. is not an option in here <laughs> anywhere. Oh, uh, well, then I don't need this app. <laughs> it, it gives you the choice of what attractions you're looking for, waterfalls, caves, you know, things like that. Uh, the sightseeing stuff that you want to exactly. look at. And then it tells you the length of it. When you click on it, it gives you an overview of the of the map of the hike. And then the best part about it, and there's a gazillion members in this thing, and that's part of the joy. So I am just going to randomly thumb just something nearby us, a dog-friendly trail nearby Apennine State Trail, uh, Luxembourg, Wisconsin. It is 13.1 miles long, and you can do the overview on it. You show where the trail begins. It shows where the trail ends. And then it gives, re this is what I love. It gives the reviews. There are 22 reviews, 11 photos. People have put their reviews and their photos on. Some of the busier trails, this is Luxembourg, Wisconsin. You're not going to have a lot of people driving right. there for an 11-mile trail. But some of the trails have hundreds of reviews. And those reviews, you can go through, path is really muddy. Well, look at the month they were there. They were there in April or they were there right. you know, the end of September. When it's good for one of the trails that we're talking about, the one in Idaho, 
I can find somebody who was there in June. And yeah, but it was 20 degrees this morning and snowing when we got up. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to go in yeah. July. I mean, that's, that is stuff. And, and like the guy reviewing it in the, the video link that you sent me, he and some friends were going to go all on one of these trails. I don't remember what trail it was where he lives, but they were going to go on this trail. So as he's getting ready and looking it up on the map, he sees a review from earlier that week, just a couple of days ago. Just a heads up, there's about two inches of snow on the trail now. Okay, now we're going to change our plans. And here's something that, you know, he and his friends had this plan for several weeks. So we're going to go hike this trail on this day. You know, having up-to-date information like that is pretty nice. Oh, yeah. And if you want something you can camp on, like what I've been plugging into a lot of these when I look is um, you can search for loops too, where it begins and ends at the same point. But, you know, you limit yeah. your options that way. But I want to be able to backpack. I want to be able to camp. Yep. And, you know, then you just go through and you see the other things that are there. But if you're just going to, like us, down to our state park, there's no cell service in there. Nope. But if we wanted to venture that, there's like a nine mile path out of there that goes south from there along the, the beach and stuff. Now, you're not going to get lost when you're walking right along the beach. But if you're into the woods and things, the cool thing with this, and it's on the on the paid side, which I think is 29 bucks a year. It's, uh, what is it? Two, two, $250 a month. 250 a month. Or what was the, there was like a lifetime. And I think that was a $100 one-time yeah. payment. Yeah, which and if that you gets do a you lot the of it. thing for life. And if you have that, every smartphone has GPS tracking in it. So if you're where there is no cell coverage or if you're out where you just want your phone to last all day, so you turn it into airplane mode, it will still track because it's tracking satellite coverage. Um, and it will ping. And if you're going somewhere and you want other people to know where you are, there is a way they can see it too because it's right. satellite tracked. So that feature is pretty cool. But that's only with a smartphone. That's with a yes. smartphone, yeah, because your smartphone has, because, yeah, it, it, you put it on your phone, because your smartphone has the ability to GPS regardless of cell connection. Correct. So that's a neat feature to have. You can't communicate. Uh, you can put in, you can set it up, and this was kind of cool. If you're going on a long trail and you're going to be four days, when, when you get back into cell service, it'll tell them when your time is up, and I made you my emergency contact. So when I leave, it tells you where I was and when I left and when I am supposed to get back. And right. it will tell you, ping, Don, the old Bucks folks ain't lost back in the yet. Woods. They're lost <laughs> in the woods. Damn it, Dad. <laughs> Here we go again. <laughs> so it's got some neat features to it. It has some limitations. You can't text or do any two-way communication. But I think the thing I enjoy the most about it is you hit search and you find, um, and, and again, I'm just looking right around where we are, 78 trails it finds near us. And then from there, right. I can thin down by length. Um, one other cool thing this does, and then we'll uh, get off of that and move on. Like here, I'm looking uh, Alice Lake, Twin Lakes, Edith Lake. And that is, uh, okay, that was in Sawtooth. So we're talking a mountain there. And when you click on people's recordings, which are just the outline of them walking the trail. One of the cool things you see there is a little graph with the altitude from the lowest to the highest. Yep. 
The elevation. Yeah. So if it went from 8,000 feet to 9,200 feet, you know when you stay on the trail, the highest it went. Because like one of the trails we're looking at stays under 10,000 feet. But if you want to venture off and see some of the features off the trail, a couple of those are over 2,000 feet higher. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't want to climb an extra 2,000 feet from that point. So That uh, sounds like fun. <laughs> <laughs> How many beers would that take? <laughs> <laughs> but again, we, we get nothing out of this. I just found this one, and of all of the what fun hiking trails are around my campground or around my home, for that matter, Yeah, this is probably the coolest, and it's all trails. The free version is pretty awesome, just fun to kind of jones through and see some of the other people's pictures and things that they post. And uh, To me, it should go without saying, but on this app, you do have the ability to download all the information about the trail. Oh, that is true. You can download the download information. It. So if you are going somewhere without service, you know, you don't have to worry about your walk and ah, now which way did we go? Oh crap, I don't have service. No, download it, you know, from the app, save it to your phone. You can once it's downloaded, you could send it to, you know, I'm gonna send it to you or print it off and give you a copy. Print it off and save a copy, because what happens if you drop your phone in a puddle. Exactly. <laughs> so you do need a plan B. Compass compass reading is always a, a good skill. What's a compass? <laughs> but yeah, that is the other it's thing I left. my Jeep. That, that That's is, right. That is the other thing I left out. You um, lock on to whatever trail you locked on to, and you, six miles into a 12-mile path, it forks, and you're not sure which way it goes. It's watching you on your map, on your phone, via GPS. You'll pretty much figure out which way you need to go. And if you go the wrong way, it will show you. It'll shock you. Yeah, the shock. <laughs> Don will be there with the electric fence. That's right. I'll give a warning first. Yeah. Hey, old man. It's coming. <laughs> with that, what do you say? So I reached out in a Facebook group, oh, probably a week or so ago, called uh, RV Entrepreneurs. And it's a good chunk of people who are out on the road working full-time, part-time, whatever the case, in, uh, well, I guess, location-independent de jobs, things you could do online. Uh, and some of us who just wish we could be more location-independent and aren't quite there yet. Uh, asking about backpacking and, and different things and anybody with some expertise. And I managed to come across Glenn Mutchler, if I pronounce that name right. That's pretty close. Yeah, Glenn Mutchler. Glenn Mutchler. And Glenn is up in British Columbia and has a bookkeeping service. So I do believe you're still studying for your CPA. That's correct. Yep. It's a long process. So uh, doing bookkeeping for now, getting uh, my feet wet in the industry, and then kind of work my way up as I go. Awesome. And, and you are independent, or are you uh, working for somebody? Uh, that's right. Yep. Just self-employed, um, full-cycle bookkeeping for small business. Uh, small businesses, not always uh, internet-based or independent. Sometimes I've got some restaurants and some different things. So uh, the bookkeeping itself can be done pretty well uh, over the cloud these days, regardless of the kind of business. That's awesome. Yeah, I know that the accountant I use for my taxes is 
well, he's only 250 miles away, but uh, pretty easy to do stuff online, get quick consults on things. Yeah, 20 miles or 2,000 miles, we still don't want to do the commute, do we? <laughs> no, isn't it funny how that goes? <laughs> Although I am a lover of road trips, so... Well, yes, we can agree on that. Oh, yes. Getting in the car and driving 250 miles to see my accountant not only is a wonderful trip, it's tax deductible. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're right. <laughs> well, enough of that. I guess before I get into where I'm at and why I reached out, you have some uh, pretty vast experiences to where you have been on the trails from uh, from what I heard. Um, yeah, I, I grew up as a as a Boy Scout, and so that kind of got me interested and and uh, some experience with with hiking and camping. Um, as an adult, it was cheap entertainment. It, it was uh, something I didn't have to pay for or plan ahead too much. I could just go go walk. You know, I've been walking most of my life, and and walking on a trail is a little more interesting than the sidewalk. So that's kind of uh, uh, organically grew this love for it. Wow. And you grew up there in the British Columbia area? Uh, no, I grew up in Salt Lake City. Oh, wow. And I must have, I've probably moved two dozen times. So <laughs> uh, hiking is also a way to explore the new place that you've, that you've shown up at, that you've arrived to. So, You know, it's funny, in my years over the road, I, I've been trucking since the 90s. Uh, I'm home quite off. Oh, I actually I'm home every night now and I have pretty much a uh an enviable gig as far as trucking goes. I work four 12-hour shifts and then I get four days off and leaves me a lot of time for camping and and other things and uh when I do take a week's vacation, that gives me a 12-day run. We can do a road trip to the east coast, to the west coast. I could probably get a 5-day back backpacking trip in most places in the country in that 12-day run. Shoot, it just works out well. Pacific Crest Trail. Did I see that on your list? Um, yeah, we tried that a couple of years ago. Um, we probably did um, almost a thousand miles. Wow. And uh, it's 2,650. Where does um, that Depending start? on the year. But yeah, where does that start and end? It starts at the Mexican border, um, just kind of uh, central South California there. Um, and it ends at Manning Park at the Canadian border. So it goes right through uh, California, Oregon, and Washington. Wow. I've been on pieces of it up in Washington, uh, camping and hanging out with some friends. I have never been overnight backpacked any any long length of it, but it, it's, exciting to, it's exciting to read about and to hear about. And you know, like you, I was in the Boy Scouts. I did some camping and packing. Then I did a little bit of camping and uh, some packing in my early adult years. And then, you know, you get married, you have kids, life goes on and you forget about it. Sure. And to be quite honest, I queued in on YouTube, just, just jonesing on YouTube one day while it was slow at work. And I found a YouTube video of a guy who had just done the sawtooth loop. Okay. Like a 62 mile loop. And it's like, I am madly in love. And it's, it just fired it up in me. I have not been out hiking on a trail other than a day hike in, oh gosh, 40 years. I'm going to be 60 <laughs> okay. here in another week, but you know, six feet tall, 180 pounds and uh, 
in better shape than most of the guys I work with who are 20 years younger than me. Sure. So I think with the training, I can get back into it. I guess that's what I'm looking for. What do you tell the guy at any age, let alone my age, uh, just getting into it? Well, it, it's a little bit um, controversial, I would say, because there's plenty of uh, groups about long distance hiking and overnight backpacking. And that's really one of the common questions is how do I get ready so that I'm not miserable? And uh, in my experience, most of us are miserable most of the time. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's not so much uh, you, you can do your best to enjoy the journey, but it's hard work. And regardless of what shape you're in, it's always hard work. You might go faster than the guy that's uh, maybe maybe a little overweight, or you might uh, you know take it a little easier on the hills. But um, I think I I think that the trick to um, enjoying the journey is realizing that it's not fun a lot of the time. Um, one of the um, through hike quotes is "Embrace the suck," and uh, some people don't like that. Um, I, I kind of liked it because when it's 110, 115 Fahrenheit and you're, you've got a half liter of water left to go two miles, there's not much else to do than just trudge through it. Uh, so, so uh, that being said, um, if you can just be in generally good shape, I don't know that you can prepare for, uh, walking 15 or 20 miles a day with 30 to 50 pounds on your back. Um, other than just doing it. But when before you start really hiking, um, nobody has time to, to hike 20 miles in a day with a with a backpack and then come back home. Um, you kind of have to start and end your day on the trail in order to get that kind of mileage in. So um, I, I guess my advice is just try to be in decent shape, you know, maybe go for a jog here and there. And, and then, but don't let it hold you back. Just get started. Um, I knew plenty of people on the Pacific Crest Trail that were in much worse shape than I and made it farther than I did. So <laughs> it's, it's more about willpower, I think, than anything else. You know, I think it's burning desire in a lot of ways. And you, you mentioned embrace the suck. And that is an old Navy SEAL saying that I've read okay. in, in many books. Um, two things, uh, embrace the suck and cold, wet and sandy, which in, in their training they're uh, for the lack of knowing the proper verbiage, their instructors would take them, hose them down with a garden hose, make them go roll around in the dirt and sand in full dress uniforms and then go about their day, um, mm without being able to shower or change or get rid of the salt water. And the point was sometimes it's like when you stub your toe, it hurts, suck it up because nobody cares. Right. And And, and nothing, and nothing's going to change it anyway. No. And when you yell ouch to everybody in your house and say, Oh God, I just stubbed my toe. Well, fine, but nobody cares. Get on with your day. And yeah. I go to work sometimes and it's, we're in Green Bay. It's snowing like crazy. The plows haven't shown up and we still have to do our job. Trailers Absolutely. still have to get moved, especially through the COVID. I'm in a giant toilet paper factory and I move trailers all day long. <laughs> um, and yeah, you just, you go to work and you embrace the suck. It's going to be wet. It's going to be cold. We're going to get through it and we're all going to live to fight another day and look back and laugh at it. And 
I've read that in a couple of places in, in some of the uh, backpacking groups I belong to. And it's like, it intrigues me because it's like, I can relate to that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I suppose it is a, a kind of a universal thing there uh, that uh, we can apply to a lot of areas of our life. I think that perhaps one of the things that makes um, backpacking unique is that there's nobody out there that's going to do it for you. Um there, there are times, I, I think probably similar for you at work, there's, you know, if, if you want to call it a day uh, at two o'clock, nobody's going to come finish the job for you, right? It just has to be done. Even on a more primal level, when you're out in the woods and everything you've got to support yourself is on your back, who are you going to call? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you either get it done or you sit down and, and take a nap, right? Um, and it's totally up to you. But yeah, nobody's there to bail you out. Trail-wise, as far as uh, there's loops, and some of these I've been looking at lately, and there's some out-and-back stuff, and then there's uh, through-hikes. Define a through-hike. Well, um, a through-hike, as simple as I could probably put it, I don't know that there's a minimum, uh, but the idea is that you start without a break. So typically, it refers to longer-distance hikes. Um, so the Pacific Crest Trail is one example. It's twenty six. It's over twenty six hundred miles, um, and to through hike it, you need to do all twenty six hundred and fifty miles in one calendar year by many people's definition. Um, if you were to do bits and pieces at a time, we'd call that a section hike. Oh, okay. So um, it's the same trail. You're just splitting it up into smaller sections. Breaking it up. So yeah. whether you're a purist or not depends on your personal definition of a through hike. There's plenty of people that would say, if you put your thumb out on the highway and you hitchhiked around a rough spot in the trail, or if that part of the trail was uh, washed out that particular day, um, there, was a, there was a section on the Pacific Crest Trail that uh, was on fire when I was ready to, to hike it. So we had to hitchhike around. Some people would say that that's not a through hike. You didn't you didn't connect the footprints from Mexico to Canada. And and I think that's all kind of uh, your own sort of idea of success. We all have our own different definition of what success is and how we can feel good about what we've done at the end of the day. But generally, I would say a through hike is is a longer distance. It's probably at least a week to do it, but could be six or eight months to do it. You know, I've, I've followed a little bit of... Uh... I'm, I'm very well aware of what the Continental Divide Trail is. Not that I have a burning desire to do that. I just want to get out there again. But sure. I, do, I do want to do something epic, not this coming summer, but the next summer. So I'm kind of, I'm just homed in on, I love the Sawtooth Mountain Range. I think that piece of Idaho is gorgeous. My wife is from Idaho and we get back there every year. So uh, it'd just be a beautiful place to go. I'd like to conquer that in 2022 somewhere in that summer, which I think I have plenty of time to train. I've got a lot of places around Wisconsin. The upper peninsula of Michigan is just gorgeous. And I'm also learning maybe the fear of some of the animals that are out there, the bears, the bobcats, the other things. Maybe exaggerated risk as long as you use a whole lot of common sense. I still think the drive over there is more dangerous than the animals. Am I right in that assumption? Uh, statistically, I think you'd be right. Lately, I seem to be hearing more about bear and cougar attacks, and I don't know if that's because I'm paying more attention or if 
people are getting further out into the backwoods than we used to. Um, I'll, I'll tell you that cougars scare me more than bears do. I, on day hikes, I carry bear spray, bear banger, which is like just kind of a little pocket firework that you can scare them off with because it makes light and noise. Cougars, they'll, they'll see you a hundred times before you see them. Um, and if they're interested, it's pretty tough to outrun or outsmart a cougar. So uh, they, they do scare me a little bit and I, I'm definitely on my toes. The only encounter I had was when I was hiking alone in the middle of the night. I should probably not have been doing that. <laughs> uh, I, I decided that this particular section of trail, I, I needed to hike, even though the rest of my group said, well, we're kind of more interested in, in taking it a little easier. We're going to kind of hang out in town and, and not hike this particular section. I think it was about 80 miles. Um, and I said, well, I'll, I'll hike really quickly so that we don't hold each other back. But um, so I tried to hike this 80 miles in in a couple of days. I had to hike quite a bit in the dark and encountered a cougar. And boy, I was about crawling out of my skin. Uh, <laughs> just, just scary because you know that what they're capable of. I mean, bears are too, but um, I've just found that bears are generally more scared of me um, than I am of them. So uh, yeah, any, anyway, I, I think it is something to plan for, to be aware of, and uh, keep your head on a swivel, as they say. It was interesting because, you know, there's the one YouTube video that we've all seen that uh, of, of the the guy who got between, I guess he got between the cougar and her cubs, which isn't good. I started running when I hit 50. I'm, I'm, I was never a big fan of running, but I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, adult onset. It's in my family. I'm not a big gym guy, but if I could go out and run 30 minutes a day, I could get my weight down, my blood sugar under control. And that's what I've been doing. And I had a beautiful place uh, in the town we were living in at the time, right along a county road with a big, wide pea gravel skirt. And I could run, uh, I could run a 5K in 30 minutes, go home, cool off, get my shower, and I'm done for the day winning. Sure. And somebody built a house in some woods not too far from where we were living. And apparently bears lived in that particular piece of woods, and now he pushed them out. So I go for my run, and I come back, and there's a bear cub. Hmm. Well, where's mama bear? Now I'm a little worried about going between uh, the bear cub on the lake, the mama nowhere in sight, the woods on the other side of the road, just a few things like that. But watching how he behaved there and got out of that, but that cougar was in a different MO. That cougar was protecting her cubs. Absolutely where something else might have been attracted to the rhythm of your of your feet. I saw somewhere that most of the cougar attacks have been um, bicycle riders and runners, much more so than hikers. And I don't know what uh, kind of goes through their primal instinct if they're not interested in somebody that's just kind of sauntering down the road or the trail. Um, maybe they maybe they uh, think that a runner or a bicyclist is something different because of what they're hearing. But you're right. Uh, I think it was in British Columbia that there was a couple of bicyclers just maybe last year. Um, one of them got attacked because, well, I guess one of them ran, decided to run away. And so the cougar got the slower of the two. But uh, yeah, the, the stories like that, they sure put you kind of into this, uh, position of feeling like we're not necessarily the uh, top of the 
food chain uh, <laughs> like we like we uh, pretend that we are uh, most of the time. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, definitely something to, to be aware of. The gentleman that you were talking about just a few weeks ago in Provo said that, uh, well, you, you can tell on the video he was trying to be really big and loud. And yeah. uh, and and it seemed that the cougar was less interested in devouring this man as he was of just spooking him away. He said, uh, you know, the, these are my cubs and I'll protect them if I have to, but I'd rather you just not be around here, you know? Yeah. It, it's interesting to read and, and read how, and there are many cases of people encountering walking backwards, doing what this guy did, making a big presence and backing away. A lot of predators are lazy animals. So as, as soon as they find out they've got to work for it, it's not like taking down a coyote or, or your dog. Sure. Uh, they will back off. So I don't think it's something that I'm going to lose a whole lot of sleep over. I think it's just something I need to be... Uh, prepared for as I go back into it. And we're certainly in black bear country in Wisconsin and up in the upper peninsula, but you rarely hear problems. Just use a whole lot of common sense. Mm -hmm. I am, as I'm reading and going through some of the gear lists and tent lists, a little bit off the backpacking subject, but I don't know if you've heard of this. It's something I was doing some research on and found accidentally tents. And you start reading problems of tents lately, new tents, having leak problems. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a chemical they use in the fire retardant foam that they spray out and the stuff they dump on forest fires. And it is also the same chemical that is in the water repellents that you spray on your tents and things. And it turns out it is an environmental hazard. So they've taken it out of the stuff you used to use to treat your uh, boat top, your tent. Your, and I found this out doing some digging with a friend of mine who owns a boat who couldn't find anything to waterproof his uh, canvas this year. And sure enough, now there's states trying to get this stuff taken out of their foam retardant because, yeah, it helps put out the fire, but it it's uh, one of those chemicals that stays there forever and it's leaching into the water and it's a problem. Have you noticed any of that within uh, some of the stuff you've been following and reading? And um, On that particular subject, I, I don't know uh, particularly what uh, what chemicals are which. I know that there's still some aerosol can uh, products available. I think it's a silicone-based spray um, that you can use. I honestly couldn't even tell you how effective it is. Generally, I just try to keep my tent and my gear out of the sun and keep it taut. So the tent, if it's got nice uh, tension, then that usually does a pretty good job of uh, keeping the water off without having to spray it. That being said, there's a big difference between a expensive tent and a budget tent um, as far as how dry it will keep you. You get what you pay for. I've been doing some research on that as I, uh, as I start planning gear and looking at uh, some choices and, and what I'd like to get. And luckily there's an REI store about 20 miles from here and I need to go and play with some gear there. Sure. The only gear I really want to acquire this winter before and the first piece of gear I'll buy okay. will simply be whatever tent I think I decide I want. I'd like to get it soon and go out in some cold weather trips and get, okay, this is what I am going to be like waking up when it's 15 degrees outside and I'm mm -hmm. in a tent. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes. And, and so on that subject, there's there's always this balance between what am I willing to carry 
and how uncomfortable am I willing to be? And uh, the tent is one of the big three, they call it. Your backpack, your tent, and your sleeping bag are the easiest things to buy too much of. Um, but they're also the things that can make it really miserable uh, if, if they're not fit for the job. If your sleeping bag's too cold, obviously you're gonna you're not gonna sleep well. And if you don't sleep well, good luck hiking 20 miles the next day. So uh, on the subject of the tent, I always used to go with uh, just a one person tent or even a bivy sack when it was just me because I didn't want to carry a, a, a three or four or five extra pounds. But I found that the worse the weather is, the more you want a spacious tent. So if you're going in the winter, at least a two-person tent for you. If you could, if you're going with somebody else, then you could get a three-person tent. It really makes a big difference as far as being able to spend time in the tent when the weather outside is not so good, and uh, space to dry off and change your clothes. And some of these tents, you can even set up the rainfly first so that the, the actual body of the tent doesn't get wet. You set that up underneath the the fly. So. Um, there's, there's just so many options out there. And I think you're right. You should see what works for you, um, and see what comfort level you're willing to, uh, to accept. You know, and then the other assumption that I've made all along, just looking at the gear, the equipment, the sleeping bags and the things, I mean, I have a beautiful sleeping bag. It probably weighs nine pounds and it's certainly not made for, for backpackers, but I think it's a, 10 degree or a 12 degree or something. It is a very warm bag. So I could sleep in a, in the wintertime, shutting a truck off, not idling it all night. Sure. Save some fuel that way. I sure wouldn't want a backpack in it, but I know what it's like when you have a sleep system and it gets too cold and it stops working. It's, it's, it's just like somebody peeled the blanket off you. It -hmm. doesn't just kind of keep you warm. It stops working. Yes. Um, Yeah. So, yeah. And once your body's not able to sustain, uh, it's it, you've crossed that line. You know, you have to make a change. Otherwise, you'll just keep getting colder and colder. Yeah. So you either need layers to add on or something else. But mm-hmm. one of the things I learned, I just assumed you're going to have to learn how to sleep on your back because that's <laughs> the only option. But apparently that is not. Uh, yeah, I, I've experimented with quite a few different, uh, sleeping pads and the one that I've settled on is a three inch thick insulated, uh, air mattress from big Agnes. And the reason being is that I rotate quite a bit throughout the night and I probably spend most of my time on my side. Boy, without a significant amount of uh, cushion. It's a pretty miserable night. I mean, <laughs> uh, probably ever since I was 22, uh, I, I really started to value a more comfortable sleep. Um, before that, I could sleep without a sleeping pad on the dirt and I'd sleep right through the night. But yeah, it's definitely different as we age. I, we did that as, as when I was a teenager and as a young adult. I mean, we'd just go out and yeah, start a fire and you know, throw our sleeping bags around it and it was what it was. Right. You know, that was, I grew up in uh, Portland, Oregon for the most part, lived in Wyoming for a couple of years as a teenager. But yeah, we'd get up into the, you know, the foothills of uh, Mount Hood or down in the, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the towns around it, down Silver Creek Falls and around there. And we just, you know, go out in the middle of nowhere where nobody was looking for us and camp. Yeah. And just kind of exist out there, right? You don't need to plan it. You don't need to reserve the spot. You just kind of go enjoy the 
the space and the silence. Yeah, we we ended up where we ended up and we all had fun and it wasn't about drinking or partying. It was just about, you know, a few friends getting together and just going out in the woods and having fun. And I did some hunting in Eastern Oregon and we, you know, have deer camp and everything out there. Uh, I know what it's, what it's like to get lost in the high desert. I learned that at uh, 13 or 14 and I was smart enough to watch the sun, know which way was West and realize I was East of the highway. So if I just head West sooner or later, I will find that highway. And when I found that highway, I put my gear down, sat down and my uncle drove by about an hour later and all was right with the world. But Wow. That's, that's that uh, Boy Scout training in you. That was exactly it. Okay, I'm heading west. There's a power line. Let's follow that power line. It's got to go yes, somewhere. <laughs> it's going somewhere, that's for sure. So yeah, the, the, the scouting was a lot of fun and it was a good way to learn. Yes. Modern technology. Um, I go on and I look at navigation and everybody is using a lot of apps. Whatever happened to a backpacker's compass and a map? Are those things dead or are they still being used? Um, there's several people I know that bring a compass and a map and they don't use it, but they like having it there. I think that the skills to be able to use it are still important because there are times, there will continue to be times when those skills are necessary. Um, we recently invested in, uh, Garmin inReach. I was reading on those yesterday. Can you tell, tell us what that is? Yeah. Um, so most people are familiar with kind of the, the classic Garmin GPS units that basically just has your maps digitally and it'll actually put you on it. Um, it uses the military satellite system to ping your triangulate your location onto the map that you've downloaded previously. So that's been around for decades. Um, it still gets better and better. But the inReach specifically uses the satellites to send and receive messages. That includes an SOS signal to emergency services should you need need them. Um, We invested in one because we're now camping as a family. We've got a 16-month-old daughter. And so now when we go out, we're a little bit more leery of twisted ankles or animal attacks or uh, getting lost because we're pretty well maxed out as far as what we're capable of carrying and how far we're capable of going. So if we had an incident, I'm already carrying 50 or 60 pounds on my back and my wife's carrying our child and I can't carry them both out. You know, if, if one of us is down, then that really puts us in a pickle. Um, And not that we wouldn't go out 10 years ago before the inReach existed, but now that it does, it's pretty reasonably priced insurance just to know that you do have contact and you can let people know if you're on schedule or if you're okay, but you're running behind. So they don't need to worry. You can send and receive text messages through this thing um, without cell service. It works off the satellites the same way GPS does. And and it it just kind of gives you that uh, sense of security that, I think a lot of people still get that sense of security from a map and compass, even if they have the newer technology. Um, it's something that they they know they can fall back on because it's reliable and, and they've got the skills to use it. Now, the inReach also has a map and navigation that you can use too, right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It, um, there's a couple different models. Uh, some of them operate just like the GPS units do. The one that we got is the Mini it's just a little bit less uh, 
price wise, it's a little bit cheaper. Um, and it does Bluetooth to your phone so that you download the maps on your phone and the, all the, all the inReach does is actually get your, your location and the communication, but you you do everything from your phone. You send texts from your phone. You can download the maps on your phone and, and, uh, track your location as well. So it's, it's sort of a hybrid option because most of us are taking our phones out there anyway. It's a little bit redundant to have a phone and a full-size GPS out there. Very true. If you have one that'll Bluetooth in and utilize the phone, what do you do when you're out for five days? Obviously, there aren't a whole lot of USB ports in the on the trail to charge your phone. <laughs> no. Um, um, before we got the inReach, I didn't care if the phone's battery died. Um, I had it out there because occasionally it's nice to put some music on when you're getting through those tough spots or you're climbing that hill that just doesn't seem to end. Sometimes the phone is nice to uh, to get your music, to take pictures. Um, very occasionally, if you have some cell service one day, um, you know, it's nice to check in with people, especially on a, a longer distance hike where you're away from home for weeks or months at a time. It's definitely nice to have, but I would never consider it necessity. So um, that being said, most, myself included, and most through hikers that I know that are out for five days or more at a time will almost always bring a, an extra battery pack. So that gives you another charge or two, depending on how much weight you want to carry. People that are blogging or taking videos a lot or are uh, really into photography, they might bring a really hefty battery pack. They'll charge uh, in town when they get there um, and they'll never go without their phone. They'll always have a charge. If you're using your phone for the map function, then I would just suggest planning accordingly and try to budget your battery battery life. Um, if you know you're out there for five days, you've got 20% per day, you better make it last. Yeah. Yeah. D check your coordinates a couple of times a day and go about your business. Right. Yeah. Don't be playing around on it or uh, doing your photo editing and stuff on day two because, yeah, if, especially if you're relying on it for maps. What is, I guess not so much epic, but maybe weird, unexpected. What is the most bizarre or, or different trail you have been on that, wow, I didn't see this one coming? Oh boy. The Chilkoot Trail um, goes from Dye, Alaska, which is just outside of Skagway, which a lot of people who have been on cruise ships have, have stopped in Skagway. Um, it, it starts just a few miles from Skagway in a place called Dye and goes north into British Columbia at uh, Bennett Lake. It's only 33 miles, the official trail, and it was part of the 1898 gold rush. So this was where hundreds of uh, ambitious young people hiked this trail with 2,000 pounds worth of supplies so that they could sustain themselves through the winter um, in hopes of uh, striking it rich in the Yukon Territory up in uh, Dawson Creek when the uh, I, th I think maybe four people got rich out of that, but hundreds, <laughs> hundreds showed up and uh, did this trail. So kind of like um, making as far money as, online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anybody can give it a shot, but how many people actually make it happen, right? Um, the, there's only so much gold out there to be found, I suppose. Anyway, the uh, unexpected part of it was just the history. I mean, I, I expected it to be beautiful, and it was, um, but the history of this uh, this trail where there's still artifacts that um, were dropped there 
over a hundred years ago, 122 years ago now. And they're still there. They're rusting the way there's uh, horse bridles, there's uh, cable cars, there's uh, all kinds of things that these people tried that, that they brought with them to make this journey easier. And they're still there. So, so it's kind of this historic trail that uh, is protected. You're not allowed to leave your trash and you're not allowed to pick up their trash because their trash is history. Wow. <laughs> and, isn't that and your trash is not right. <laughs> your trash doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, yeah, and, and I've done that one three times now. Um, wow. And, and that it, it just doesn't seem to get old. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I have not been to Alaska. I've been uh, an aircraft carrier got me through Hawaii a few times okay. and uh, truck driving has gotten me through all of the lower 48. I have not been to Alaska. It is on the bucket list. I would I would keep it towards the top of that list if I was you. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I have never been to Moab. I've been through Utah, but I've never been to Moab. That is on the list. Um, Very cool. Looking forward to those. And again, there are things with this twelve day off stuff. I'm oh, at least five years away from retirement, so uh, you know the wife and I can take a couple of vacations every year, and um, you know, hey, I can you know have an, an epic trip every year or two. <laughs> well, and it, and it's about having that that thing to plan and look forward to, um, and I think that helps us all get through uh, through the tough times. Is just having something like that to to plan on, right? You, you know, I was talking to my wife about that the other day. Through, especially now with the the election and the COVID, we just want it all to be over and get back mm-hmm. to normal, whatever that normal is going to be. And this is kind of taking me beyond that because I know next year I've got some ideas of where in Wisconsin and the UP that I'd like to do a few overnight trips, but I've got my eye on the prize in 2022 on that loop. And uh, Mm -hmm. I actually have our daughters are twins and they're 33 um, and they would both like to do that with me. So there's a lot of uh, team effort in talking about it. And, And as as we get past Christmas and the holidays and the election starting to uh, get into the physical condition and all of that and, and see if we can't pull that off. It would be an, an epic trip to do with my kids. Uh, I've also got a son who, and he does our family camping when we do the podcast almost every week. This week we skipped and went camping. I guess in wrapping this up, let's wrap it up with uh, your view on something called Leave No Trace. And it's a hot button of mine because... Between the fires out west, some being arson caused, some being stupidity caused over a gender reveal party, and some of these campgrounds, Mount Hood National Forest being closed, and I hear others in California and Washington, because some of the dispersed campers just are slobs, and there's graffiti, and there's garbage, and there's names carved in trees, and speak on that, and let's kind of wind it up on that one. I think that'd be a good thing to end on. Sure. Um, Yeah, I I would say... Um, going back to the discussion about the Chilkoot and how 120 years ago their trash is now protected, you could say the same thing about the uh, the Native Americans with their uh, carvings and their artwork and their hieroglyphics. That's now important. That's a historical artifact, right? Yeah. Um, it's interesting to to think about if we really were to take a, a step back. I don't know that the gold miners expected their trash to be uh, important day. And I don't know if the Native Americans expected people to uh, study their uh, their language, and their artwork as much as we do. 
I couldn't say whether they did or not. <laughs> um, but that being said, I think that it's very simple to just know right from wrong. So what kind of legacy are we to leave for the next generation or let's say 200 years from now, if hopefully we ever make it that far? I don't know if it's going to be train cars with, uh, with spray paint on the side of them or us carving our names next to somebody's hieroglyphics from 300 or 600 years ago. Nothing, nothing is more aggravating as a person who loves nature and being in nature than to be out there and see signs of other people. You know, <laughs> I mean, um, that's kind of what we're, we're, we're trying to get away from. We're trying to uh, appreciate the nature and, and get some, get more in touch with our sort of spiritual side. And, and, and it's very frustrating. I think the, the thing that gets me the most is, uh, is the grossest one. And that's, uh, how we, how we, uh, are handling our fecal matter and our excrement, which yeah. is not a, it's not a, a fun subject to talk about, but no, I mean, nothing catches you off guard, like walking down the trail and enjoying the the sun's kind of peeking through the trees and there's a nice breeze coming through. And then right in the middle of the trail is just a pile of somebody's uh, lunch from yesterday. Um, and, and the interesting thing, and, and this might be, this might get me some hate mail, but you see a pile of bear poop in the middle of the trail. And that's like, a story to tell, right? Yeah. That's, that's a positive thing. Like, Oh, we experienced this. We, I know there were bears there. It looked fresh. You know, it was that like was exciting. Yeah. 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 But human scats, not the same, you know, <laughs> it just loses the allure. <laughs> no, it's not the same. Um, anyway, uh, as far as leave no trace goes, um, I wish that we could as a society do better than we are. Y- I know, think that there's a lot of people that do a really great job and a few people that spoil it to the point where, if the government can't afford to pay somebody to babysit us, they'll go ahead and close that whole national park down. That is my fear is we will lose that. And it's not a privilege. We own that land. Uh, whether in Canada or the U.S., we are the citizens. It is our land. But the mm-hmm. government in protecting us from ourselves may very well do that. And, and that would be sad. I think of um, Independence Rock, Wyoming. The settlers who would be heading west in you know on a journey where they'd leave their family and never see them again. You you really didn't have U.S. mail like now. But if your daughter and her husband headed for California two years before you, you would travel to Independence Rock. It was on your way to that same journey, and you would circle that rock looking for their name and the date they arrived. And that was also if you had to be there before the 4th of July, thus the name Independence Rock, to be able to pull off the trip before you got stuck like the Donner Party did in Mm -hmm. California. And the rich history in what is now graffiti carved in a rock. Right. It's it's an interesting uh, take on it, right? Yeah. Um, And that, that being said, I think that we're to the point that we don't need to carve our names into things in order to leave our, our legacy. No, we have Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have photographs, yeah. you know, I mean, the, the, we're, we're studying history from a time when, when people didn't, uh, did, didn't hardly keep journals, you know, um, life was, was different and it was, and now it's interesting to us because it was so primitive compared to what we're doing now. Um, and not to say that we're not going to continue to advance, but we have 
very good record keeping now. Yeah, and so some of that is no longer needed. Yeah, so so as far as the graffiti goes, let's let's do our artwork and we'll put it online and we'll make copies of it and we'll sell it for a million dollars and uh, and everybody can appreciate our artwork that way. Let's let's keep it off of nature because because there's too many of us and not enough rocks to paint. <laughs> <laughs> Amen to that. Anybody who wants to uh, reach out to Glenn, uh, the bookkeeper, where can they find you? Um, yeah, you can just take a look at my website, uh, equalizedbookkeeping.com. Uh, it's not very relevant to hiking, but if you do want to send me a message through there, then I'm happy to talk about uh, backpacking, hiking, and camping as well, because that's kind of uh, the the thing we like to do when we're not working. And we all work to live rather than live to work. So I will put, appreciate your time. Yeah, I will put a link in the show notes to this. And uh, yeah, I might be reaching out to you from time to time as I slowly acquire some gear and uh, uh, maybe justify my decisions and what I get and go from there. Sure. Yeah. The only thing I'd say on that is uh, just just start with what you have. Don't let uh, the wrong sleeping bag or the wrong tent keep you from getting started. It is it is not my uh, definitely not my M.O., but I also know, um, you know, hiking, going on an overnighter, maybe ready fire aim works, but it probably doesn't work for something big like sawtooth loop <laughs> yeah so so let's uh let's get started with uh maybe some car camping or one overnight that you're not too far from the car or whatever right um but but yeah get some take some baby steps with what you've got and work up to it yeah learn the cold wet and sandy and make sure you're ready to you know suck it up buttercup right <laughs> exactly there there was quite a few people that uh that i met at the very beginning of the pacific crest trail that had all of their gear shipped to that location and they flew there. They'd never set up a tent before. They'd never hiked before. And that's how people get in trouble. I would believe that I was actually looking at places where, yeah, you can call and order it and they'll send all of the gear to your home, Mm -hmm. load it up, strap it on, do your trip, send it back and uh, just rent everything you need. And it's, I get it, but why would I want it's, to do that? That's, that's... You, yeah. You really got to be careful. You got to be prepared for sure. Yeah. There's, there's no, uh, there's no substitute for experience and um, just start with baby steps and the experience will come with time. Hey, I'll reach out again as uh, I get along on this and uh, maybe fill you in on some of my experiences and get some advice as we uh, move forward. Very cool. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. You got her. It's been a lot of fun, Glenn. And uh, yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes to Glenn's site and we will talk to you again. Kate, take care. That was fun. (laughs) I thank Glenn for being on the show. I am anxious to talk to him after child number two is there and see if they're putting the backpack gear in, in, in the bicycle trailers and hitting the trails that way, or if they end up with a small RV for a while. I go think when our kids were little, we pretty much parked camping for a little while. Waited till they at least got out of that infancy stage and got back into it. And it, it's a long process, but you get through it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I thank, I thank Glenn for being on the show. That was a fun conversation, and we will talk to him again down the line. So with that, again, uh, Facebook, just go to Facebook, Our Family Camping, send in a request. Boom, you're in. And uh, we will get more and more things in that Facebook group as time goes by. With that, I thank you for uh, joining us tonight, and we will talk to you next week. Stay safe out there. Yes. Stay safe. God bless. Drink responsibly. We will see you all next week.
Put your Christmas lights up. It's coming. Hey. Oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs>